Good morning. So, <laughs> um, isn't it great when things always go according to plan? Um, I don't know that often because it doesn't always go according to plan. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I'm normally I don't like sitting on a stool very much, but um, I had grand plans uh, this month to do some awesome stuff at camp with high schoolers, which went really well, and then had plans to uh, to move uh, from our house in town to out to Hilger, and uh, and so that was all going to happen in the same month, and um, what do you know, I got sick, uh, so I wasn't able to preach, because that was also on the plan a couple weeks ago, and then um, started feeling better, and decided I was going to start contributing to all of the work that my wife had done um, to, to packing our house and moving it, along with the help of a lot of people here at the church that I'm so thankful for, but uh, as I did that, Stepped out of the shed into a gopher hole and sprained my ankle. So that was super fun. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time. That's pretty normal life. Um, just things not going according to plan. And I used to tell myself often that, like, oh, well, like, I'm running into all of this opposition. I'm running into all of these things not going right. That must be God saying that this door is closed or whatever. And so with that old mindset, if I had looked at that, I would have been like, oh, God doesn't want us to move out to Hilger. Uh, you know, he wants something else. Like, I, I would have been looking too much into things just simply not going well. <laughs> but um, one of the books that has helped me in my life know what God wants me to do without personally ever hearing, oh, thus saith the Lord. Like, the, an angel of the Lord has never come to me in a dream and spoke directly to me and said, like, Colin, you need to do this. And, and I've, I've made some big decisions that have, like, made it kind of hard to figure out what to do. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, that, that was hard for myself and my wife to walk through was our original decision to move back to Lewistown. Um, we, we were working at a church in Boise, and this was in... 2016 is when we started talking about this, and, uh, and, and just really felt like urban, big mega church was not where I was meant to be. It just wasn't a good fit for me, and, uh, and, and so we, we started talking about what does that look like, and, and I got um, a call from a minister up in North Idaho of this little town called Grangeville. And it is a sweet little town. I think of it like, it's like, Mon it's like Idaho's Lewistown. It's about the same size. It's an hour and a half to the nearest Walmart. Like, a lot of similarities. It's, it's an egg town. There's ranchers and farmers around. Like, it, it, it was a town that I was really excited about. And, and this pastor, his name was Harold Gott. He's a really cool dude that really loves the Lord. And actually, he, he had come and he had taught a couple of classes um, and, and spoke at these classes and talked about rural ministry. And he had my heart excited about doing rural ministry. And so he called up and he said that he was looking for an associate pastor. He wanted someone to come up and work alongside him and do, do life and do church in Idaho. And I was really excited. And so we, we had a couple of conversations and it was moving forward. Um, and then at the same time, we found out that we were expecting our son, Caven. And, uh, and so we were trying to figure things out because 
Um, I couldn't, I didn't make enough on my own salary at the church to live in Boise because well, Boise is exploding and was then and, and cost of living kept going up. And so Danielle couldn't go down to part-time or no, no work and, and, uh, and be able to like, you know, rent an apartment big enough for the three of us. <laughs> and so we had to figure out something to do. And, uh, and, and so it was with really hard decision, we were like, we're going to go back to Lewistown for six months in this gap between having Caven and starting this new job in North Idaho. It was like, this is, this is probably what the Lord wants us to do, so let's do it. And, and it, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, when you, when you just decide to move on your own, you don't have like a new job like helping you with expenses. So it was expensive, plus we're trying to have a kiddo. We end up making plans to stay in my parents' basement, um, and, uh, and it was just going to be temporary, right? It was just going to be temporary. And, and so we get to, uh, we get to Montana, and, and I'm just working a job. Danielle is hanging out in my parents' basement because she is a saint. I love my parents. If you know my parents, they're awesome people, but no one should live in their mother-in-law's basement. <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> but she did it. She did it willingly, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was hard, and there was times where I was telling myself, I shouldn't have done it. I made a mistake. Like, none of this is going according to plan. I've, I've made a mistake. God had closed the door, and I just shoved through anyways. I've, I'm doing this wrong, and, uh, and especially when I got a phone call from Harold, and Harold said, my health has absolutely tanked, Colin. Um, it, I, I kind of hit a wall that I didn't expect to hit. I thought that I had another five or so years of ministry in me, and it has become clear that I need to retire immediately and, and step down from the church. He's like, so what that means is our church is no longer looking for an associate pastor. They're looking for a senior pastor. And I'm like, okay, I'm in my 20s. I've only worked as a youth pastor in a big church and I'm having my first kid. I can't go there. And he's like, he's like, I, he's like I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd bring you up here. He's like, but honestly, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, no, no, I think you're right. I, I shouldn't do that. I'm not, I'm not ready for that. So we went from this temporary stay in Lewistown to, I guess we're kind of here. <laughs> and, and it was really hard for me because I was sure that this was clear that I should have never made the decision to leave Boise in the first place. God was closing doors left and right, and I ignored him, and I just bullnosed my way through these closed doors because that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, and I, I'd, I'd say that it, that was close to a crisis of faith for me. It was, it was just that, like, I, I don't know what God is leading me to do. I don't know what I am supposed to do. And, and so often... When we have something come up, we say, like, well, we're going to pray about it, and, and then we'll just wait to hear from the Lord. And when we don't hear from the Lord, well, we're off the hook. We don't have to do it. Or we have opposition. We're like, oh, God closed the door. Not going to do that. That was too hard. And what I have come to learn is now I get to be a minister here in, in my home church that I never expected to work at, the, the church that raised me in the faith the church that, that sent me off to prepare for ministry, what I have learned through, through that experience and through the book of Nehemiah 
is that God has called us to do work for him wherever we're at. And that if we know what God desires in our life, then we know what we're supposed to do. If we know what God desires for his church, then we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do his work. And, and that, that can look a lot of different ways. And, and one of the reasons is that I, I've learned this from the book of Nehemiah is because he is a man that never gets a thus saith the Lord. And yet he does a lot. I thought that I had made a mistake. And now that I am here, I know that God had a plan for me to do his work. God wanted me to be working for him, and I needed to realize that that could happen wherever I was at. And, and through um, running with Jake and having long talks about ministry and about who God is, and, and, and reading stories of pastors and, and reading scripture, I came to realize that my calling was to be a pastor, and I didn't have to have all of the other details figured out. And, and I, I changed my identity in my mind while I was still working just a regular old job that I was going to call myself in my head a pastor. I was going to be a pastor doing HVAC. I was going to be a pastor working at a cell phone store selling cell phones. I was going to figure out how to live my calling from God out in my context. And, and I am so thankful that, that God's blessed me with the opportunity to be here at First Christian. Like I said, I learned a lot of this from Nehemiah, and so I want, to share, I want to share that with just a snippet of this book, because um, this is a huge book, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we, could, we could spend 45 minutes on just the historical background of this book, because I, I love this book, but um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just take a small bite out of it today. And, and to set the, uh, the background a little bit for it, this, is, this will be the very brief version, is that um, the, this is during the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire was from 550 B.C. to about 323 B.C. So that, that, that couple hundred year gap is where, where the Persians are in control of a lot of the Middle East, a lot of the known world at that time. They were huge. And, uh, and, and Jerusalem had been sacked many times. At, at the point that we get into Nehemiah, um, Jerusalem had been sacked three times, with three different invasions. And um, at, at the point that we have, um, we have the king Artaxerxes, his style of taking over a country wasn't just brute force like it had been before. His was, instead of like displacing everyone, and then putting new people in a location and totally destroying every bit of infrastructure. His, his kind of mode of, uh, of, of taking care of his empire was instill enough respect in who he was and his power and then let people kind of take care of their own country. And so he allowed, um, he allowed some rebuilding to start to happen in Jerusalem. And, and that is in part one of the book of Nehemiah. Some people call it the book of Ezra. So it's, those books are very connected. Um, we were doing a, a Bible study, um, some guys and I here at the church, and we were going through the book of Nehemiah, and then we were going through, um, through the life of David. And one of the questions that Andy Ostrike asks, he's like, why is it First, Second Kings, like, like, you know, First, Second Samuel, what's up with this? And then same with Nehemiah and Ezra. Why, why is it different? 
It's a really simple, boring answer. Um, there wasn't enough room on the scrolls to keep them together all the time, so they started separating them. There was, <laughs> there was no spiritual significance to separating Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, it was just like a natural division and easier to keep them on separate scrolls, and so that became common. And so Ezra and Nehemiah are historically the same book um, and, and cover a lot of the same stuff. And so Ezra leads people back to Jerusalem, and they get to start rebuilding, and they rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah, who was born in captivity, born away from his homeland, because not everyone went back, um, he is aware that some of his people, some of his forefathers, got to go back. That, that they got to go back to Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and the, that they were supposed to be rebuilding the city. And especially under the Mosaic Covenant, and especially in ancient Eastern cultures, the city was very important. It was not just like our building here. If, if this building got destroyed, First Christian Church would be totally fine. We could still gather and like rebuild the, the building or, or move somewhere else or meet somewhere else for a time. We'd be okay. We'd be bummed. We'd be bummed that we wouldn't have this building. But this building is not our identity. The, the body of believers is our identity. To, the, to an ancient people, the city was their identity. It was, it, it was the sign of, of their God's power, of their God's respect. And, and it, was, it was supposed to be an outside thing that people, the outsiders would look. They would see it and they'd be like, wow, God is amazing. You know, God said that Jerusalem was supposed to be a city on a hill, shining. That people saw Jerusalem and saw something different. But, as the Mosaic Covenant covered, is if, uh, if the people didn't follow his laws and didn't obey, then he would allow them to be spread out. He would allow them to be destroyed and, and, uh, and sent out. And so, Nehemiah thinks that this building is going on. And then he, uh, in, in, verse, in verse 1, we find out that he gets word from home, which is always a big deal. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Shizlev in the 20th year as I was in Susa the citadel, and Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And... Um, and as I asked them concerning the Jews who escort, escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem? And they said to me, the remnant there is in the providence who had survived the exile is, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates destroyed by fire. I mean, that's, that's, this is going to be hard news for Nehemiah because I don't know about you guys, but if you... If ever lived away from home for a time, it's always exciting to hear news from home, right? So when people would happen to be coming near Boise and they would come and visit me, like we would, we would sit and we would talk about things that were happening back home. And I was excited to hear about things and some things were hard and it was hard for me to hear and, and, and my heart ached because I was so far away that I, I, I couldn't be supporting people that I knew were going through a hard time. And other times I'd be joyous and I'd be like, man, that is so awesome for them. Like, that is going really well. Like, you get something excited 
when, when you hear about what's happening back home, news from back home is a big deal. It's, it's the first thing that, that Nehemiah does when he meets these guys from his homeland, his homeland that he's never actually lived in. But it's a part of his identity. It's, a part, it's, it's the land of his forefathers. It's the land of, of his identity as, as a, child, a covenant child of God. And so he hears that, and, uh, and, and in verse 4 he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O oh Lord God of heaven, and great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive to your eyes and your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you, that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There are your servants and your people, whom, I, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your, of your servants who delight and fear your name. And give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Some of the things that we learn in this is that people matter. And our hearts ought to break alongside God, who, who mourns at what is happening. God wanted his people to be living in covenant, wanted his people to be safe in Jerusalem and, and following him. And they were in a distraught position because of the decisions that they had made. And, and Nehemiah, his heart was broken when he heard that. His, his heart was, was hurting because he knew that there was something wrong. And, and he, it, <laughs> he tells us that he sat down with it immediately. Have you if you heard that, I'm sure you've experienced that at some point where, where you hear news so devastating that you have to sit down. And, and this is how he felt about a place that he had never been. He felt that way because he knew that it was a priority to God. He knew that not because an angel of the Lord came to him, but because he knew his scripture. He knew the law. He knew what God had communicated to Moses. And, and he knew that something had to be done. That if they, they wanted to establish a different way, if they wanted to make sure that Jerusalem was different, that they needed to turn their hearts and their eyes back to God. And he knew that not because he got a word from the Lord. It's because he knew Scripture. And he knew what to do. He sat and, and he prayed. And he, he prayed, and he mourned, and he fasted. 
so that he would be prepared to do what he needed to do. And apparently, he thought up of a plan. Because about three months later, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of, Artax of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, he took up the wine and gave it to the king. Nehemiah says, Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And I said, and then I was very much afraid. Because read, uh, read about what Mordecai warns Esther in, in Esther. Going before the king is not the safest thing to do all the time. The Persian kings were not known for just letting anyone walk into their room and just anyone show emotion. Um, Mordecai wasn't even allowed on the, in the palace because he was mourning. Like the, it's a very serious thing to go before the king and have the king turn his attention towards you. That's, that's not the guy that you are like waving to get his attention. Okay? It's better to just be there and do your job. So he says, I'm, I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send to me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the, me to the governors of the providence beyond the river, and that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the, king, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, that, that small prayer, I, I, I love this. We're only into the first two chapters of Nehemiah, and we see this heavy prayer. Of like, heart is completely burdened, need to stop, pray mightily to God, and, and, and confess his own sin and, his, and the sins of his father's. Like this huge prayer, and, and we also know that there's fasting, and so we can assume pretty well that there was continued prayer in all of that. And then there's this little prayer when he's like shaking before the king. I think of it as like, you know, hitting an ice patch on the highway. <laughs> Do you close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands, and pray to God like, please keep me safe? It's like, no, oh, keep me safe. My eyes are open, right? Here, Nehemiah just says, you know, one of those probably wordless prayers in the back of his head, like, all right, God, we're doing this. And, and he has something ready to say. He doesn't go, let me think about it. He doesn't go, let me go back to my house and pray about it and figure this out. He says, well, I need permission. You shut down the rebuilding of Jerusalem once before because of these governors that were complaining about it. And so I need, uh, I need letters that say that you're okay with me going out there. And then I also need money. I need to buy some timber because I want to rebuild the wall. So we're going we're gonna to need some resources. And so he lists that off, and the king grants it to him. And, and, uh, and, and you know, Nehemiah attributes it straight to the fact that the good hand 
of God was upon him. I would like to add that the good hand of God was upon him all the time. Before that, when he was deciding that he was going to be a good cupbearer to the Lord, that he was going to live life the way that he knew Scripture had called him to live. And when it came down to it, he was respected enough by this, this Persian king that did not submit to God. He was respected enough for that king to listen to him. If he had just been living completely for himself and doing kind of a halfway's job on, on being the cupbearer and wasn't well respected, he wouldn't have had this opportunity. Nehemiah clearly was living a life of discipline, of, of prayer, of, of knowing God's word, and his life outside of that was, was being lived out in a respectful way. And because of that, when he knew what God wanted him to do, what God had, had, had laid on his heart through that sorrowful news, he had the opportunity to do it. He had built up a reputation that allowed him to work for God, and God was able to use him in such a mighty way. And so, so Nehemiah gets to travel. This is the part that we're not going to read all of. <laughs> um, but he gets, to, he gets to travel to Jerusalem, and he takes a whole entourage. He asks for those couple things. King sends him with, like, mounted cavalry. So that really helps reinforce as he's traveling through. Like, he is coming with the blessing of this king. And so he travels to Jerusalem, he gets there, he arrives and he sees the ruined city and, and he travels around at night taking stock and, and trying to figure out what all is going to have to be done before he starts talking to anyone. He gets there and in verse 17 it says that he, they gathered the people of, of Jerusalem, he gathered the people of the city and he said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them that the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for good work. And, and things happened because of the conviction of a good man. Because of the conviction of a man who knew the word of the Lord and, and was living a life ready to step up when he was called to it. But his calling didn't happen because of a, of a dream. And, and let me tell you, some things were going really well right there for him. You know, he got favor from the king. But if, if you are to read from chapter 3 through, verse, through chapter 13, you will see constant opposition to the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Between the local governors being really upset that the walls were being built and, and trying to stop it, trying to assassinate Nehemiah, trying to attack the walls, at, at one point, when everyone in the city is building, Nehemiah tells them to, to, to build with one hand and keep the other hand on their sword. And, and that as they're building the walls, spears need to be leaned up within reach. Like, he's like, be ready for an attack. It's going to happen. And, and be ready. And, and all sorts of troubles of things that, honestly, some people would have interpreted as closed doors. And in fact, one of the things that he ran into was complainers. They were like, this work is too much. 
It's, it's all going to tumble and fall down. Like, if, if, if we keep doing this, it's just a waste. The, the Sambalot is going to show up with his buddies, and he's going to knock these walls down and kill us. Why are we bothering this? Let's not stir up the pot. Nehemiah says, no, this is what God wants us to do, and we're going to do it. And, and he kept moving forward, despite things that might have seemed like a closed door. Not because he had got this special vision, but because he knew Scripture. He knew the law. He knew God's heart. And so he, he knew what needed to be done, and he did it. And he brought other people alongside them. And, and the work was completed. Nehemiah 13, verse 30, says, Thus I cleansed them, people of Israel, from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah knew that God's good hand was upon him throughout his, his work. And he was working for God's glory. He wasn't working so that he could establish himself as governor. In fact, he, he promised the king he would come back when the work was done. He wasn't trying to do this for his glory. He wasn't trying to do this so that he could feel good about it. He did this for God's glory. When I see Nehemiah and I want to emulate him, I want to think to what Jesus has called us to do. I want to know Scripture so well that when I ask that question in my mind, what does God want me to do in life, I don't have to sit and wait on some answer. I know it because I know Scripture. And, and I, think, uh, I think of many times that Jesus makes it pretty clear about what he wants us to do. One of those is in Matthew 9, chapter, 35, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There's a little bit of parallel here. Jesus, about a few hundred years later, is walking around and he sees people broken, sees people hurting, sees people displaced and not where they need to be in life. And his heart is broken for them. Just as Nehemiah was brokenhearted for his, his people, for the people of God, Jesus is looking around and he says, we know what needs to be done. Just as Nehemiah said, I know what needs to be done, I'm going to go do it. Jesus says to his disciples, he's like, you know what needs to be done. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So pray for the laborers. And the beautiful thing about that passage is if you keep reading in Matthew, um, he says the laborers are few. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus sends out his disciples to go do some work. We know what breaks God's heart. We know that there are broken people in this world and, and that things don't go according to our plans. But we also know from Jesus' words that there is a harvest for us to work in. 
that, that, uh, that our calling is to that harvest, either where we are or maybe somewhere else, like Nehemiah. But wherever we go, when, when God's glory is our desire, when, when God's kingdom is the motivation, we have purpose. We have a calling to, to care for people who don't know about the glory of God, to care for people that, that are hurt and broken and don't have identity, that, that don't know where, where they need to go for life. And, and that's played out as a parent, discipling your children to know the Lord. That is played out as, as a teacher, preparing kids well f- to be adults. That's played out as, as an employee, being respectful and, and caring about your boss and, and wanting to represent God well through that job. As an employer, when, when you are wanting to emulate the grace and mercy that God shows us, or as a minister, and a minister can, can have a lot of different roles, wherever we are at in life, we know that God's heart is broken for broken people. And that when, that, that when we align our desires with God with our knowledge of Scripture, we don't have to be without calling. Jesus might never appear to you in a dream and tell you what you need to do, but when we look to Scripture, we know that we need to love on people. We know that we need to be producing the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. We know that we need to be preaching that Christ died on a cross to give us freedom and to give us life. And when, when that shifted in my own life, when I ran into doors that I was like, oh, that door's closed. Said, no, that's just opposition to God's plan. I can feel confidence that I have read scripture and that I have, I have learned about what God's desires are and I'm going to move forward with this because I have confidence that God wants me to be a laborer for him. And we can do that. And, and that's, that's why I love Nehemiah. Is because he, he's a story for the people. <laughs> he's not this, he doesn't have a huge pedigree. He doesn't come from a line of amazing prophets with great powers of splitting the water or anything like that. He was just a man doing his job. And when he learned what he could do for God, he did it. I pray that that's what we do in our communities and in our family. That, that, that when we see broken people, we say, man, God cares about that person. I'm going to care for them. When we see idols that are coming up in our lives that are in opposition, we remove that so that we can stay focused on the work that God has called us to do. That, that is something that gives me purpose. And that's one of the biggest things to me in, in my life and in my faith is that I have purpose. I have something to wake up in the morning and do. And, and, man, I pray, Jake and I have talked about this before, I pray that I am here for years to come. Jake and I wouldn't mind hunting in our retirement together. And, and if that happens, it's God be the glory. Or if something else happens, I know that I can glorify God wherever I am at because I am called to share the gospel. And that is what each and every one of us is called to do. Let me pray. God, I pray that we can be like Nehemiah and live our lives in a discipline that we know what your desires are and and that we gain enough respect 
to, to influence people around us for you. That, uh, that, that when we have successes in life and things are going well, we say that we know that the good hand of God is on us. And God, when we run into opposition, I pray that we keep our eyes fixed on you. Mm. That, that when we run into opposition that makes us want to stop the good work that you have called us to do, that we turn to you for your strength. And we know that you are the one who gives us purpose. God, help us to play that out in our lives wherever we might be right now. And move us into where you need us to be next. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.